Right, hello, um, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening, Dan. Calm. Evening. And just to prove that this podcast is topical, I'm Britney Spears. <laughs> also Very known good. as Dan. Uh, how are you, gents? Yeah, not yeah can't grumble. You. Can't grumble. Uh, I can, and that's a good place to start. Um, <laughs> because you both know me, and you know that I kind of have this natural footballing pessimism, I always had a feeling that despite Liverpool's best attempts before Christmas, that multiple factors would catch up with us. Um, we are in a really poor run of form, bar two um, wins at West Ham and Tottenham. We are out of the title race. We, the, the title's gone. It was gone before um, the game against Manchester City, but um, the, the scoreline was a bit a bit flattering to City. I thought, but they they deserve to win, um, no question. We gifted them um, the match with um, Alisson, who has plenty of credit in the bank, making a couple of mistakes. I have some extensive theories as to to what's going on at Liverpool. Um, none of which is a quick fix and none of which will be fixed before COVID has gone. But, um, yeah, did, did you gents watch the game at all? Uh, I did, Dan. I um, I, I mean, the, given that there was, you know, the Super Bowl kicks off much later than the normal NFL Sunday, um, I wasn't already sort of embroiled in the pre-match at that stage. So I did watch uh, I did watch the, the Man City um, victory at Liverpool. I thought, I thought the first half was a strange game. If I'm honest, I thought it was a strange game of football where Man City felt to me like they were Chess. feeling fear. It felt like Man City were feeling Liverpool out without any need to, because I think it was quite obvious where Liverpool were. Their passing was sloppy. They looked like a team whose confidence is not particularly high at the moment, which I think we've talked about before is is almost certainly the case. You've already mentioned Dan the runner form they're on. Um, they look like a team that isn't quite as sure of its shape as it as it was at one point. Isn't quite as sure as it's pressing as it was at one point, or maybe is too tired uh, to execute the pressing. And I, I think that's probably something we'll touch on. But it, it felt to me like Man City were feeling Liverpool out, but they really didn't need to because that was all Liverpool had got. And once Manchester City kind of cranked the tempo up, um, then then the sort of what happened was inevitable. Obviously, Liverpool got back into the game at one-one, and I felt that was almost because City had again had got one nil up, and then sort of come into the shell a little bit. But once Liverpool got back to one-one, I mean, those last twenty-five minutes or whatever it was, Manchester City were just on a completely different level to Liverpool, and I don't think we've said that for at least three. You know, there was that there was that game a few seasons ago, wasn't there, where Mane got sent off early on for for a boot to the face on Edison, a high boot. Um, and and City were very very good that day, albeit they played a lot of the game against against ten. But I think that's the first time in a long time I've watched Man City versus Liverpool and thought City are on a different level at this point in time. Um, and so you know the the inquest will start for Liverpool, and there's lots of theories been bandied about as to why they're where they are. I maybe take a slightly less pessimistic view than you, Dan, and and I'm an outsider looking at it. Obviously, I think my view is just that. No team can be perfect for four or five years back to back. Uh, there are going to be dips. There are some players who are out of form at the moment whose confidence has gone. They have had some bad injuries. I mean, you take the top three centre backs out of any team in, the, in any club in the country, really, at the same time, and the results will suffer eventually. And I know they didn't suffer immediately with Liverpool, but they will suffer eventually. And um, it's it's a mix for me of injuries 
uh, a bit of a loss of confidence and a loss of form by some players. And this point that more than almost any other team, I think Liverpool couldn't afford to have an off-season that was only four weeks long. Because the the style of play, the way they play, the way they press is so intense and it's so 100 mile an hour. And I, I've always felt, and I know that was kind of one of the conversations we had when they brought Thiago in, I've kind of always felt that Liverpool sort of a little bit have one setting and they have to play that way. Um, and I'm not sure they do, even, even with Thiago on board, have that kind of change of pace. I think Liverpool are a brilliant team when they play 100 mile an hour. And an okay team when they play at 75 mile an hour. Um, and I think it's that combination of things. Do they need one or two new players to freshen it up? Yeah, they probably do. But I, I don't think there's a lot wrong with Liverpool, if I'm honest. I think they'll finish in the top four this season. I think they will benefit from a, a normal off-season, as it were. I know we're going to have a Euros, but a normal off-season. And I think Liverpool will be right back in the title race next year. Yeah, I think um, you know. I think that's a good good summary, Paul. And I also don't share quite the level of of pessimism about about Liverpool that Dan has. But then perhaps that's to be to be expected. Um, you know, the game yesterday. Yes, after a cagey opening, it, it did end up becoming a bit you know heavily one sided towards the end. Um, you know, and as you mentioned, Dan, a couple of mistakes c- caused that. I think you know, in terms of title races, I mean, you know, it took City a long time to arrive in it. Uh, but now they've got it, they've grabbed it by the scruff of the neck and it's perhaps difficult to see them letting it go. Um, all I would say is, you know, it was only a few weeks ago that they weren't really in it. So th- this this is the one season where, you know, in any other time in the last five years or even 10 years, if this was how the league table stood, I'd say, yeah, you know, City will win it, no problem. This season has been so bizarre in so many ways. This is the one season where actually I'd still say there's too much football to be played to, to sort of hand the title to anyone um, and, you know, let, let's just see how, how it progresses. Um, you know, Liverpool could find form as quick as they've lost it. You never know. City could lose theirs as quick as they found it. Um, and there are other clubs in there. You know, other clubs are available, uh, as I think was mentioned on the commentary uh, yesterday as well. But uh, that's for me to say. Um, so, yeah, I, I you know, but I, I understand from your perspective, Dan, um, you know, how it looks. But I think, you know, Paul's right. You know, you're missing, you take three, you know, you sort of three, three best centre-halves or, or your three, perhaps your three only centre-halves out of the team, then, yeah, any side would suffer. Um, although saying that, I would actually quite like to see how we'd play without Harry Maguire, Victor Lindelof and Eric Bailly. But, <laughs> but there you go. You know, just to stress test the theory a bit further. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, so I think you know that that's a big part of of the reason why you know the, perhaps the form has 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 dropped off um, because those those key influential players at the back just just aren't available and that you know they aren't they aren't quick fixes and I, I know you were frustrated about the lack of transfer activity but what I would say to that is you know it's 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 Liverpool's sort of plan and strategy that's got you to the point where you were able mm-hmm. to win the things you've won so. I almost say, kind of just have to keep a bit of faith in it. Um, there is clearly a plan there, um, and I think you've got good people running that club. So I'd say keep keep the faith, let them get on with running it. Um, yeah, you might not win the league this season, um, but equally, you know, you you could have said that for twenty nine out of the last thirty years. So it's not, you know, it's not it's not the end of the world. And I think you'll be able to, you know, when Van Dijk's back and the other the other players as well, you know, you'll be able to regroup and. And, and go go again next season. I'm I'm sure when hopefully it'll be a bit more of a a normal season for everyone. Um, I thought it was interesting that 
if you remember a few months back, it seems whenever a club's struggling, that you know, the, the, the lack of fans gets mentioned. Never gets mentioned when teams are winning, but always gets mentioned when teams are struggling. And it happened to United back in like October time. You know, Solskjaer started you know mentioning it in his post matches, and it it's now starting to get mentioned about Liverpool as well um, about the lack of fans. And uh, you know, it undoubtedly does affect every every club at every level because it's hugely it's a hugely different experience on match days uh, with empty stadiums. But it's just interesting how that does keep coming back. Um, but it's it's undoubtedly I think when I think what's happening is when when teams hit a rot where maybe fans would help them get out of it quicker they're sort of instead now slumping deeper I think that seems to be what we're what we're seeing and I think you know the confidence boost that you'd perhaps get from having a you know a full Anfield as as obviously there would have been uh, yesterday and and in some of the other games you know the fact that you've lost I think is what three home games in a row which is crazy considering two weeks ago you hadn't lost one for about 20 years it's just you know it is bizarre and I think you have to put down some of these 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 weird behaviors you know down to the sort of season we're having um and I think you know it's a fair point you made Paul about the the lack of pretty much lack of pre-season as well um that it does impact perhaps some teams you know more than others uh given their playing style so that's probably worth taking into account given that you you know you're having to play deputies and, and youngsters in some key positions as well I think that combined you know sort of adds to the problems you've got but equally I don't think they're long-term problems I think they are short-term specific circumstances I don't think there's anything sort of structurally wrong or anything like that um, and I'd say yeah longer term it's, it's keep, keep the faith with the decisions that have been made that have got you to the point where you are would be uh, would be my outsider's perspective and by Alison, some thick, thicker socks, because obviously his feet are, his feet are freezing. <laughs> yeah, um, um, I, I think I think as well, just to pick up quickly, Dan, on on the thing that Corn said about Liverpool's strategy getting into this place. I speak as uh, as someone who's been through this as an Arsenal fan. When you know people used to be frustrated about our cautious and careful transfer strategy. Well, believe me, that's a lot better than not having a transfer strategy, which has been what we've dealt with since. So I, I agree with Con. I think it was a good point you made that, you know, to a certain extent, this this is going to be a year where Liverpool don't win the league. They might not win a trophy. I mean, yeah, OK, when you're Liverpool Football Club, the expectation is you win something every season. I get that completely. They might not win a trophy. That's disappointing. But it's not time to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The strategy, the plan, the the basis on which they've they've rebuilt the club in the last seven or eight years uh, is still a, a plan worth persisting with. Got got quite a few things I want to say though, because you, you're quite right about the strategy, the long term planning. The problem I have with it is that it's not changed when the situation has changed. So we held on. We 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 decided three or four years ago. Um, Virgil van Dijk's our man we'll wait till January to get him at the time I was furious now that's obviously been proven to be absolutely correct the the, the issue I have with the, the transfers in January is we, we got to win in the end who are not ready to play for Liverpool because of, we play in a certain way high intensity, high tempo etc etc blah 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 we all know Liverpool play heavy metal football as the, the, the famous quote goes but these guys aren't ready for it because we signed them at the last minute. We should have had them ready to go on the 1st of January. It took Andy Roberts. Andy Robertson, for me, I would argue with anybody, is the best left-back in the world, and I would not swap him for any other player. Andy Robertson didn't go into Liverpool's squad for the first three months. Fabinho, the same, one of the best holding midfielders in the game, 
and who's been pretty good at centre half as well, where he's needed to play. He didn't get a kick for three months either. He couldn't even get into the squad either of them. So to then not bring someone in until February, practically, well, it was February, is to me a failure of that system. There's no flexibility, and the owners are responsible for that, in my opinion. They should have ponied up earlier, get it done, get it out the way, and it's sorted. Um, but that's a, a different kettle of fish altogether. I'm not a big fan of the owners. I don't think anyone who, who knows me doesn't know that fact, but we're kind of splitting hers there. The other thing that you mentioned um, is fitness, and I, I completely agree with that. I, I don't think there's a... <laughs> there are problems. I think one of them is Portuguese and sat in the stand, Yotta. Um, when he's played, we've looked good. We've looked dangerous. We look like we're going to score more goals. I am very concerned about Roberto Firmino. I, I don't want to say he's finished because he's he's not. I think he's only just turned thirty. If he's turned thirty at all, he is. He's not in a rut. He's not in a, a dip. He's in a ravine, a crevice, um, the deepest thing you can imagine possible. Um, you know, like, Grand Canyon. Yeah, the Grand Canyon. Like, he's only twenty nine, Dan. Yeah, I thought as much. He's not not even turned thirty yet. Roberto Firmino is a completely enormous problem for Liverpool because he's just not playing at the levels he can he can do. There's plenty of mitigating factors with Liverpool. There's, I, I think we miss fans more. I, I mean, I I've said that from the start, Liverpool would be one of the most disadvantaged teams, not having fans in. Um, there's no way Manchester City win four one at Anfield with with no with with fans in. Not a chance, because I have seen it with my own eyes. I've seen Barcelona, I've seen Real Madrid, I've seen Manchester City, I've seen any team that you can think of come to Anfield and crumble because of the crowd. I've I've seen it on European nights. Manchester City, that 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 fantastic Manchester City team, and this one is not a fantastic Manchester City team by any stretch of the imagination. By the way, I've seen. City's best ever team come to Anfield and absolutely fall to pieces because they can't handle the atmosphere. And to to give City the credit, simple it, it, it's a very simple equation in terms of the two teams. They have handled pandemic football better than we have. It's it, it comes down to it as, as simple as that. We can. Cite... I think it's maybe. I think it's maybe easier, isn't it, to play Manchester City's slightly more methodical. Yes, definitely. Style of football and methodical is probably the wrong word, but but cerebral. Let's use that word. They're slightly more cerebral style of football than Liverpool's, as you've described it, Dan. Heavy metal football, which is a bit emotional and does feed off the emotion and the energy of the crowd at times. And I think it probably is fair to say that 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 style is harder to maintain without a crowd than um than the style of play man city use which is almost you know making football a, a sort of art form and you know you go to the uh, opera and the crowd aren't cheering are they that's not the way it works there uh, so it, it's it's a slightly different dynamic and i i think there is something to that but but i think also you know the form thing is is important and, and Firmino might be one of the exceptions, Dan, to my general view that there's not a lot wrong at Liverpool. I think it might be time for them to think about moving on from Firmino because um, I agree with everything you've said about his form. He's had some good games, but his form as an overall package in the last, really basically since you won the Champions League, 
Yeah, has, no, just, I, I agree. Has, just, yeah. has just not been where it where it was for the two and a half years before that. I almost thought at times he was Liverpool's most important player um, because his movement was so clever and he brought other he created spaces for other people to run into. At the moment, he looks a bit static to me. He's obviously his confidence is on the floor. Um, the only caveat I'd say to that, and I know Jota did well when he played earlier in the season. Um, my only caveat to moving on from Firmino is finding top-class centre-forwards costs us a lot of money. An yes. awful lot of money. And whether Liverpool are ready, especially in the financial times we live in with the pandemic and everything else, whether they are ready to go and spend, let's say, upwards of £60 million, and that's being conservative on trying to find a top-class centre-forward. I don't know. Well, I, I know where I'd be going. Um, let's just assume that our... Or, or, or you would presume our number one choice um, is going to be staying in Paris for a while because that deal ain't happening. Um, th- maybe there was a possibility of it happening, but um, I, I don't think Kylian Mbappe was is on the menu anymore. If he was, if we're getting if we're moving Firmino one, and I, I genuinely think it, it is time to consider it because he's just it's not even funny how much he's fallen off a cliff. I think um, we should be looking in the direction of Dortmund. And a certain uh, Norwegian centre forward. I think the problem with both of those, Dan, is you know whether it's Mbappe or whether it's Haaland, every top club in Europe is looking at those two. Yes, of course. And, and, and you know the 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 bidding war, if Haaland moves on, is going to be crazed to say the least. I'm I mean, su- I, I know for a fact there are there are at least three clubs in the Premier League who would bid for him. Well, I think um, the thing yeah. with Haaland doesn't he have an eighty million release clause? I, I think he has a release clause that comes out okay. this summer. I mean, you're still going to have the issue of Liverpool will bid three hundred quid in a copy of Girly World because that's how Liverpool <laughs> conduct the negotiations. Rightly or wrongly, so yes, it's going to be difficult to attract someone like Harlan. We can lend you that one pound we bidded for uh, Suarez if you want, <laughs> and Liverpool's owners would take you up on that. Um, <laughs> we can, uh, you, you can bid eighty million plus a pound. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure. I, I, I will hope, hopefully, Dortmund will be sympathetic to Jurgen, but I, I'm not one hundred percent. Convinced that we will sign many players this all, summer. All, all I would say with those options, though, though Dan is, and and this maybe fall into one of those you know ni- nice problems to have category, but Mbappe certainly isn't a Firmino, right? He's not going to do for Liverpool what Firmino does for Liverpool. So you've still got Salah. Presumably, you're talking about fitting someone in with Salah and Mane. Um, it just kind of it's interesting. Is that the type? Of forward, you need because I mean, how much did you pay for Firmino? He didn't cost over sixty million, did he? I think it was twenty six um, or twenty nine. Yeah, so you know, it depends. Although pro rata that now, it's not far off. Uh, I say now in in the economy pre pre COVID. Obviously, we don't know what the we don't really know what the summer transfer market's going to look like yet, do we? No. But um, no. but, but we'll see. Post Neymar, I think is what you mean, Paul, because that was <laughs> the, that was the transfer yeah, deal that yeah. that completely changed transfer fees. Um, uh, but yeah, um, there's a lot. Of, I think Liverpool needs some work. I think we need to move Naby Keita on. I think we need to move um, Joel Matip on, and we'll have to do that on a free transfer because he's frankly broken. I think we need to. I, I don't like to say this because I like the guy. I, I, I don't see what Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain brings anymore. 
because he, he seems to have lost the ability to run since that serious knee injury against Roma. Mm. He, he he has really fallen away, and it's it's sad. I like the guy a lot. It's such a shame, and, and it looks as though Gigi is going on a free, doesn't it? It looks like I think Gigi's going to Barca. I, I think so. I think he's going to join uh, Red Ronnie in his red Christmas tree at, at, at Barcelona. Um, again, you know, like that for me is a bit of a, a bad idea. Um, he's never had one word drives while he's been at Liverpool. Um, Van Dijk had a new contract. I'm pretty sure Alisson had a new contract as well. You know. He, he was entitled to ask for a, a wage rise and yeah. I'm bitterly disappointed that we're letting him walk away for free because that's someone else we're going to have to replace. Yeah. Or, or, or what we're going to do, get Marco Grujic back from, from his 15th loan. You know, it, there's, there's, all, there's, there's more troubles on the horizon for Liverpool than, than I, I think people are, are, are worrying about. But for, for this season, I, you, you both know me. I expect Liverpool to do well. I don't expect Liverpool to win the league every season. That's just not not who and what I am. And if Liverpool had a full strength team in a normal season this season, I, I don't think there's much discussion that it, it would be probably Liverpool and Man City. I, I don't. I have genuine fears Liverpool get, don't get in the top four. Genuine, genuine fears. And if we don't, that will be a disaster. As long as we don't end up in the Thursday night cup, though, finish for f- first. Well, we're not going to finish first. Finish second, third, or fourth, or tenth, please. None of this. Uh, well, if it's if it's finishing tenth, you want Dan? I, I'm, I'm I'm willing to guarantee <laughs> you uh, that's roughly where Arsenal are going to finish. So. <laughs> yeah, not not had uh, much luck since that 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 um, podcast with Rob last week when you was hoping for uh, one more. Off no, we got I I. Honestly, you could play that Wolves game a hundred times and Wolves would win it once. Uh, but there we are. Everything that could have gone wrong that night went wrong. Um, and then I didn't... I, I, I was actually out and about Saturday morning. Um, uh, you're allowed to still look at houses in the uh, in the lockdown. So I was house viewing Saturday morning. So I didn't see the, the game at Villa. But from, from what I hear, it was not one to, to run after. I didn't miss a lot, let's put it that way. No, not 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 really, no. Um I, I watched most of it, so yes, I would would agree with that. Um before I talk I, I become the, the football equivalent of the verve and start depressing everybody, um let's move on to a, a bit more of a of a serious subject. It looks like there's some notable attempts to kind of remove football from gambling. Now for me Football is synonymous with Ray Winston's floating head. You know, like fo- football betting adverts seem to be on all the time. Um, I'm, I'm not picking on on Bet Three Six Five. It's just that have a bang on that and and, and whatnot is is one of the most memorable adverts. I was just wondering what you two think about this this kind of idea that we get um, the number of of betting sites in, in football down. I mean. It, it, with all of the football, all of the time, um, and as someone who, who's who's actually fortunate fortunate enough to get some freelance in writing work at the moment, some of the work I'm doing is is for companies, uh, you know, like um, like rehab clinics who are dealing with with gambling addictions. All of the football, all of the time, you can bet on cards and corners. You can bet yeah. on you can bet on the colour of Gatorade thrown over a winning Super Bowl coach, Paul. Yeah, not successfully though, Dan. Ah, uh, 
I just want for people who people who don't know the reference there is there was a better eight to one on Sunday night that the Gatorade thrown on the winning coach would be purple, which I took because I thought Tampa Bay had a chance to win, and the last time purple Gatorade was thrown on a Super Bowl winning head coach was the last time Tampa won the Super Bowl, but they didn't. They threw orange now, the same as everyone else. Yeah, uh, thanks for explaining that, Paul. Uh, I, I should have mentioned that really um, because that's just... another advert for the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brought to you, brought to you by Amazon. Um, yeah, no. It, 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 what, what I'm getting at in in my typical long way, um, there's too much betting that you can make on football, and with all of the football being on all of the time, it looks to me the reason that I have work is because people are developing a bit of a problem with gambling. Um, I, I'm sure that, that COVID has kind of changed that as well and made that more of a prevalent problem. But um, has there always been too much football and gambling association? I mean, I think they've always been closely linked because I think sport, you know, sport and gambling are, are, are sort of go hand in hand. It's, it's you know, which which came first, right? <laughs> um, so it's always been there. But I think uh, what what what's different now is it's it's probably more accessible than ever before. Um, through the technology, you know, um, to be able to, to, you know, simply download an app or log on to a website or whatever. Um, and, 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 you know, whether it's on sport betting or casino, you know, online casinos, whatever it is, the, the, there's a lot out there now. And it does seem to be a, a particular problem in, in this, and not just in this country, but it definitely is a problem in this country. And it's, so uh, therefore it's a topic that keeps coming back again and again. Um, and I think, you know, sports sponsorship has always been a sensitive topic around you know sort of industries that are sort of deemed as vices you know like tobacco alcohol and gambling being the big three um and, and you know various efforts have been made you know tobacco sponsorship is no longer really a thing i think in in, in most sports um you know even alcohol sponsorship i think is technically still allowed in in football and in the premier league but you don't see it as much um or not on shirts anyway but you know you still see they still sponsor the programs and you know in the grounds i think um, but then betting is the big one now. You know, I think it's half or over half of the Premier League teams um, are sponsored by game, you know, gaming firms or gambling firms, mo- most of whom don't actually trade within uh, England or the UK. They're sort of overseas firms as well. Um, so it sort of starts to get a bit murkier in terms of like how much do the clubs actually know about these firms that are sponsoring them? Um, because it seems in some cases possibly not very much. Um but then, as you say, I think it's also perhaps more an, an acute problem at the moment when you know people are housebound and they don't have much to do. And as I said, you know those those sort of methods to access uh, you know gambling are, are are there and are easy and, and, and a distraction. And before you know it, you can have you know um, spent your your weeks or your months' wages. I think it is important to say, obviously, that you know problem gambling uh, doesn't affect everyone. You know, there's always a, a minority of people. Um, but it seems to be. I was reading something earlier that was saying it is starting to become more of a problem in in young in you know in younger adults, um, and that people are gambling from younger ages. I think again, probably because of the technology, because um, you don't have to worry about sneaking into a betting shop. You can you know set up an account and very um, true, very true. So I think that's because more of a thing of actually, is it going to even if it isn't that much of a problem now, are we setting ourselves up for a you know a generation or future generations of people who who, who might have um, you know more serious problems? Um, so I think it's perhaps almost about is it something that we sort of nip in the bud 
um, before it, it gets it gets too far. Um, but uh, you know, as we as we said on so many topics on this podcast, it, it often comes down to the money involved and people having to make uh, make decisions that might uh, lighten people's pockets, which is never uh, you know never goes down very well. So it's 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 it is a bit of a it's a difficult one. I don't know how seriously the authorities in football are taking it. I think there was actually a, a, a House of Lords study was done la- last year. Um, that recommended, uh, you know, that, that that sort of shirt sponsorship was was stopped for, for gambling. But I don't believe anything's been done with that. Um, so I don't know if, like I say, if the actual authorities running the game are seriously looking at it. But it does seem to be something that is campaigned upon on, on a more and more frequent basis as well. Um, so I think it's definitely one for us to to keep an eye on and I'm sure discuss more on this podcast as well. Um, but I'll, I'll hand off to, to Paul uh, now because I've yeah, so I, I think a couple of things to pick up on from, from what you've already said, Colin, really. Um, the first of which is, uh, so you're right, the House of Lords looked at this, uh, the Select Committee, the Culture, Media and Sport Select Committee looked at this last year and recommended an outlawing, I think, of two things, which was sp- uh, shirt sponsorship, betting companies sp- uh, sponsoring kits, and secondly, advertising for gambling sites during live games so the idea being that you couldn't get ray winston's yeah, floating that head was the, the, <laughs> the whistle to whistle thing wasn't it or something yeah called the, the whistle yeah. to whistle thing um and and i i think i don't know if the first one's already been done or if they've decided they are doing it and as a result some of the betting companies have already started to withdraw from those advertising slots um but the other thing, uh, the the shirt sponsorship thing is part of a new consultation that i believe um the the Department for Culture Media, Digital Culture Media, and also, for some reason, Sport, um, uh, launched a consultation just before Christmas. So I think they are seeking views on whether this would be a good thing. I think you, you estimated, Con, it's about half the Premier League. My understanding is eight Premier League clubs have main shirt sponsors that, that are betting companies, and another two have a secondary sleeve sponsor. Um, that is a betting company. So that is, uh, as you were saying, it's half of the Premier League. And it isn't, with the best in the world, it isn't the big clubs that suffer here if it happens. Um, Because Arsenal are sponsored by Emirates and Manchester United are sponsored by Chevrolet and Manchester City are sponsored by Etihad. Well, that's a bit of a dodgy one. Well, indeed, <laughs> Manchester City are owned by Etihad. Um, <laughs> Chelsea is sponsored by three. You know, uh, it, I think it's um, it's standard charter, isn't it, at Liverpool? It is, mate. Uh, these are super global mega brands. Now, if you look at the next rung down in terms of companies who've got the financial wealth to then sponsor the middle of the Premier League... It is a lot of betting companies where, as Carl mentioned, we used to have Holston Pills and we used to have electronics companies, Sharp and JVC, and they're Cause. just not in the market anymore. Um, so, you know, Cause, yeah, Cause sponsored Chelsea for a bit. Um, I think Carling did some Premier League sponsorship, didn't they, at one, at one point or other? Not Liverpool. just the league, but teams. Um, Carlsberg at Liverpool. So there was there was a number of uh, of, of different sponsorships within the the Premier League um, from from these other companies and they've basically gone from the market and that's why the betting companies have been able to step in as big clubs have started to go from big national brands to international super brands. 
the market has created, you know, such a gap that it's the betting companies who've ended up going in and filling it. Now, that does not mean I'm saying leave well alone, it works fine, because I don't think it does. Um, we do have a, a problem gambling issue in the UK. I think the point about gambling at an earlier age, beginning at an earlier age, is a very well-made one. I do wonder a little bit myself if people are really thinking, oh, well, I'll open a betting ca- account because I've seen it on Fulham's shirt. <laughs> that, I think, is a bit of a mental stretch. I mean, you only have to go on social media to see the presence that the, the big betting companies have there. I mean, how often just on our WhatsApp group between us will we will we share a funny tweet from Paddy Power on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon when there's Premier League football on? Do you think young football fans are not following those accounts because they're seeing the funny tweets being shared with their mates? I, I think that's more likely to lead someone down the line of betting with Paddy Power. Now, what are you going to do? Say Paddy Power is not allowed to have a Twitter account? Yes, please. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, I, I, I think so. I, I'm not saying there isn't a problem. I think there is. I'm not saying that we some of the measures that the government's already looking at in terms of shirt sponsorship and uh, the whistle-to-whistle rule won't have an impact, because I think they would. But I think, actually, they're not the the key things that are going to break through. Uh, And I think we need to think a little bit more deeply about the way in which we uh, regulate the link that exists between football and betting for all the reasons that Khan talked about at the start. Um, I, I just think, you know... The, the stories this week are interesting and there would be a knock-on effect, but also we have to stop and ask, are they really the things that are going to make the big big difference? Yeah, I think I think it's absolutely a fair point of, yeah, how do you make the correlation between, um, you know, how do you prove if you, say, stop uh, the sponsor, shirt sponsorship, for example, from, from next season and say, right, that's it, you can't have it anymore. How do you then prove that problem gambling has reduced by five percent or ten percent how do you how do you make that connection Um, yeah even if you can show it's even if you can show problem gambling is down in two years time how can you correlate that with changing of tops on the premier league Mm. yeah exactly um i think the other thing though just to point i think the point you make around the the type of clubs that have this um my understanding is the 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 problem if, if we're calling it that is worse when you go down the divisions that actually the proportion of clubs in the championship with 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 yeah. gambling firms is, is even higher uh for all, yeah. you know the exact sort of reason you mentioned um so it isn't it isn't a premier league centric issue uh no. by any means it does affect football at, at at all levels so it would have you know if, if these you know changes did come in then it would have uh potentially severe impacts of a, a large number of clubs having to scramble to find some form of, of you know of new sponsorship to to fill the the coffers which and obviously at the moment no one's yeah. got any coffers right they are as as bare as they've been for for many many years so it would be a there is a you know a, and i'm not saying that's the reason not to make changes if they're the right decisions to make but it is a consideration um that you know f- you know football particularly at the lower levels that have never really had much wealth are are really struggling at the moment and if you take away you know what is going to be one of their main sources of income potentially um, you know that that's obviously not going to go down too well. But uh, of course, I hope that this gets looked at seriously because a, a gambling addiction can destroy someone's life in the, the blink of an eye. Absolutely, Dan. Without without a shadow of a doubt, there was a story actually about about women on the BBC website last week about women gambling online on sort of bingo sites and that kind of thing during the lockdown because of the boredom. 
and a woman who basically lost half a million pounds. And it's just terrifying. She'd lost half a million pounds in six months. That, that's She'd it. sold the house and spent the proceeds. I mean, it, it's terrifying. So there is definitely a problem that needs looking at. And, and football can't be sort of excluded because oh, it's a bit of a difficult financial time. They need to look at what they can do. But I also need to think... I also think there's a question about whether the suggestions they've made so far are enough to really tackle the problem. Yeah, I, I completely take your point of, um, of of what you're saying. You know, like, I, I don't think people are going to go and, and have a bet because they've seen something on Burnley's shirt. No. No, you, you, you're completely right, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, it's another serious topic for this podcast, but it, it's one that um, I think we're, we're quite right to bring up. It's getting a bit exciting in the championship at the moment. Um, it's getting all a bit tight at the top, and obviously, with um, COVID being the world it is, the, the world we're living in, um, the race to get into the, uh, the, the the Premier League is as hot and as necessary as is needed as it's ever been. Yeah, I think so. It's it's really interesting. I mean. You look at those top three now separated by two points. Um, I think we've already talked in this podcast about what a brilliant job Brentford have done to, again, sell key players in the summer in, in Ollie Watkins and, and the kid who went to West Ham. Um, and yet, yet again, be right in the thick of the automatic promotion race. I, I'll be I'll be honest, I'm surprised. I have Brentford as still in and around the playoff areas, but probably not pushing for, for automatic. So for them to be where they are is fantastic. Um, yeah, what a good job uh, Steve Cooper's done at Swansea to, to have them in the mix again. Um, and then obviously Norwich, Norwich are there at the top. But you, you look after that, there's, there's Reading and Watford kind of in a bit of a no-man's land. Um, and Reading obviously is struggling a little bit at the moment, having had a, a great start. They're in a little bit of a no-man's land, kind of not really close enough to say at the moment they're bang there for automatic promotion but solidly clear of kind of the teams chasing the playoff places. And then and then it gets a bit, you know, Bournemouth are a bit more vulnerable, and then there's about 93 teams in a, in a cluster after that, between eight. And Bournemouth sacked Jason Tindall. And Bournemouth have sacked Jason Tindall, I've seen that. Between eighth and 17th, there's six points. So if you're in, a, if you're in the playoff chase... You're almost certainly in the relegation battle. <laughs> I mean, that is that is the craziness of the championship. Uh, it's it, it just is so tight in that in that middle third of the league. Really, after you get past that top six or seven, um, from Blackburn in eighth to Huddersfield in seventeenth, there's six points, and any of those teams now who can put a run together. Uh, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, weren't we, about the fact that Alex Neal was under a bit of pressure at Preston. Suddenly they have a couple of results. They're back in the top half and looking at the playoffs and thinking they're not completely out of our sight. So it's so tight. Um, and that's why we love, love this league. Exactly. That's why the, the championship's the best league to watch right the way through the season. Um, you know, the Premier League's the best for a period of time, but there are seasons where, OK, we know what's happening now. I mean, we, we all know it's going down, don't we? Uh, but in the in the Championship, everything's really still up for grabs, still to play for. And and even at the bottom, we've, we've talked before, Wickham are probably down. Sheffield Wednesday are just about clinging on to it. But that third relegation place, you know, teams who will be looking up at the playoffs will also be looking over the shoulder at Birmingham on on 28 points and thinking, we've not got that much of a cushion. 
Uh, it's just a fascinating league. I'd love to see Brentford come up because I think over a number of years they've built the right way. They've they've kept playing good football, kept losing players and replenishing. I think they deserve it. Um, but it's going to be a really interesting last two or three months. Not much to add. I think it's a good it's a good summary. Um, it is a bonkers league, and it's you know I think we've talked about the Premier League being tight. You know, in terms of uh, you know points between the between the clubs so you know particularly we sort of talked about how the the top half is probably as, as as tight as it's ever been um for much of this season in, in the premier league but actually you know you're right the championships like that <laughs> almost all the way through the table barring maybe the top couple and, and maybe the bottom couple as you said Paul. Poor old there's, a, there's a there's yeah there's there's a, you know there's a literally a mid a mid table there of about 15 clubs that you know mm. <laughs> could, could potentially get get promoted or, or also relegated um, but uh, yeah, it looks like you know certainly there's what about a, a third of the season left, roughly. Um, so yeah, it looks like in for a, a, a fun a fun ride. And just just let me tell you this, Dan Rotherham are twentieth. They have two games in hand on Middlesbrough, who are seventh. If Rotherham win their two games in hand, they'd be five points behind Middlesbrough. Paul Chuckle will be pleased about that. <laughs> And of it's, course, uh, Rotherham won at Preston at the weekend as well. Yeah, so you know, it's just it's a really interesting league. It always is. It's fascinating till the end, um, and it's it looks like it's going to go that way again. Yeah, it, it's 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 hands down my favourite league. It's not a, a, um, something that I have a particularly vested interest in. Um, although I always like to see Neil Warnock fail. It's um, it's just it's an enjoyable league to watch. You must, been. you must hate a different club every season, then Dan. If you like to see Neil Warnock <laughs> fail, uh, uh, well, well, as as Neil Warnock's always keen to point out, he's got no problem with Liverpool. The problem is with Rafa Benitez. My problem isn't with the club he's managing. My problem's with Neil Warnock. And, yeah, uh, I, I suspect I'm not alone with that sentiment. From uh, from Plymouth up to oh, I, I don't know wherever he's managed. I think the guy is a prank. <laughs> always have, always will. Um, anything else that you guys want to bring up? It's um, a midweek FA Cup round, which is a bit strange. It, only really briefly, Dan, to just touch on um, you know the the refereeing decisions again at the weekend oh, mate, and, and over the oh, last week, which which of course a lot of controversy going right. We, we mentioned the Arsenal Wolves game. Now, I I think the Lewis sending off was the right decision, harsh. But by the law, the right decision. However, I also think that the Bednarak sending off at Manchester United the same night was exactly the same. They overturned the Bednarak red card and left the Lewis one unchanged. I mean, to me, they're both red cards. I think they're both in that category of, oh, God, that's a really harsh red card. But the law is a law and it says what it says. And if you're not playing a genuine attempt for the ball, and neither of them were because they were making no attempt for the ball, then uh then it, you know you're not safe from the red card uh if you're the if you're the last man if you uh, deny the clear goal scoring opportunity you only get that protection if you're making a genuine attempt for the ball and neither Lewis nor Benderak were, were trying to make a tackle so they can't possibly be making a genuine attempt for the ball it's a harsh rule i get it completely i think there's maybe some merit to going back to look if you deny a clear goal scoring opportunity it's a red card whatever the weather and then it gets rid of any of the argument 
but bizarre decision to overturn one and leave the other unchanged. And then we had the the um, the Suchek sending off at the weekend, which just, I mean, Ridiculous. blows my mind how a man can look at that. Uh, a million and one. I, I understand Mike Dean was shown it 23 times. Now, to me, that's the problem. At that point, it's it's not clear and obvious. At that point, exactly, exactly. If or, or between my uh, Mike Dean and the VAR, they looked at it between them twenty three times. Correct me if I'm wrong, Paul. Wasn't the dream team of um, Mr. Dean and Mr. Mason responsible for the Bednarat red card, which also wasn't clear and obvious? Probably. I I, I seem to remember that. I think it was Dean. I think it was Dean. It, it He's was been Mr. overturned. Dean. Yeah. He's been overturned twice in four days. I don't know if it was Mason as well. I'm pretty sure it was the dream team. I think it was Lee Mason and, and Mike Dean. And I think it comes back to a point we've made on, on VAR a couple of times when we've talked about it this season, that it's not the technology that's wrong, it's, it's the, the people humans. using it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> or um, I, think, I think human is um, a bit of a, of a controversial way to describe David Coote. <laughs> you know, I I get with the subject one. There were lots of people on afterwards saying, "Well, even if he has meant to sort of, you know, flail his arm, he's barely made any contact." Now that isn't a defence. If if Mike Dean thinks he's meant to do it, he has no option under the law but to send him off, whether he thinks he's made significant contact or not. But he has to believe it's intentional, and I don't know how you can look at that and think it's intentional. To me, it's very, very clear that Suchek is... They're sort of arm fighting, aren't they? And Suchek's trying to get his arm off, um, get the other guy's arm off his, and sort of flails it out to remove his arm and kind of in the follow-through catches him in the face. He immediately goes to apologise. He immediately is horrified that he's caught him in the face. That's not his intention whatsoever. I mean, the only person who watched that and thought he's meant that is Mike Dean. Or and the bloke on, and the bloke on the VAR. Well, yeah. yeah, exactly. The bloke on the VAR. Yeah, the two of them. They're the only two people in the country who think Thomas Suchet meant that. And of course, Mike Dean's opinion is the most important. And that's true in terms of him being the referee, but it's also true in, in Mike Dean's mind. I mean, we should just say before we, before we finish, Dan, because he's now been taken off games at the weekend because of death threats. And again, that is completely and ridic- uh, utterly ridiculous. It's uncalled for. The man's trying to do a job. He's not very good at it. <laughs> and fair enough, moan on social media about the fact that, you know, call him a pranic if you want to. Um, but, you know, people should not be messaging on social media apps or through any other means referees and threatening to kill them and their family it's completely out of order um and and it's maybe something we want to come back to in a future podcast this rise of kind of social media trolling of players and officials in in a really sort of serious way not you wish today um excuse my language which which you can all have a little bit of fun with but when when it starts being threatening, when it starts calling out people's family, when it becomes about people's race, then it's just gone way, way, way beyond. Um, and and there needs to be something in place to stop it happening. Yeah, um, like the the social media companies taking responsibility for what they've unleashed. Um, it's not very often that I agree with Phil Neville, um, but his idea of every account on Twitter must be verified works as far as I'm concerned. And that there, there endeth my agreement with Phil Neville on any, on, on anything. <laughs> I, I think it's a nice idea, Dan. I'm almost convinced that it'll never happen. But um, 
I won't go in on this podcast to the reasons why I'm convinced, but um, safe to say I don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah, let, let's re- let's revisit that another time. Is, is there anything else you wanted to bring up, Cam? No, I think that's it from me this week, guys. Radio, well, um, thank you very much for um, your input as always, gents. It's um, weird having an FA Cup um, midweek, but that doesn't bother me because we've been bundled out. Just to uh, to end the uh, the podcast on the note that I started at complete misery and being sick of football. All of the football all the time and I want to watch none of it. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Um, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, hopefully we'll have a, another guest on soon. There's a, a couple of people are eyeing up um, to, to join us. Not that uh, the company of you two gentlemen is underappreciated because it's not... So we'll be back next week. Probably be Monday again next week, and and we'll we'll catch you again after a while. <laughs>